If the last episode of A Beautiful Anarchy was about the perceived pressure to produce and to get more work more quickly into the world, and the way that that pressure can paralyze us and, frankly, just make the whole thing way less fun, then this episode is about the undeniable reality that we do need to create. Most of us want to create more, and doing so without the pressure can be not only tremendously liberating, but it can result in better work. There are practical ways to reduce the pressure and still remain productive and even prolific, especially when we don't have options in terms of getting our work done. None of those ways, however, are much good just in the moment. They aren't tactics for making that looming deadline any easier, but rather they are strategies for longer term and more sustainable creation. I'm David Dushman. And this is episode 69 of A Beautiful Anarchy. Let's talk about it. I talked in episode 68 about building in longer lead times and wider margins. But how? Well, I've got three ideas for helping reduce the pressure, but these ideas piggyback onto a bigger question that I feel like we need to get out of the way first. So here it is. Are you, in the time you do have right now, committed to or open to doing your work without distractions? You can make all kinds of changes to how you approach your work, but there's just no point until you finally accept that you are not the only person in the world who can actually multitask. I don't mean there are others who can. I mean, well, you can't. The science is clear on this. We just can't focus on two things at once. And so in trying to do more than one thing at once, we attention switch. And in every switch we lose some of that attention. We're all so busy, so you're not the only one checking text messages, emails, or just looking to see what's on your social streams in little moments while you're working. What, we think, could be the harm? Well, the harm is a loss of flow, which is where we perform our best. I wonder, have you ever audited your attention or focus? Have you ever tracked how often you actually check your phone in one day or even in an hour or noticed how willing you are to be pulled away from a conversation by the ping of an incoming text? It could be important, we think, as if what we're doing here right now isn't also important, as if being pulled constantly back from the threshold of flow doesn't affect how much we can do and how well we can do it in the limited time that we all have. Here's how I picture this in my mind, and maybe this will help. Imagine your day as a blank piece of paper on which you can do today's important work. Or maybe that paper represents just the two-hour block in which you can do today's work. Now I want you to imagine that for every time you get distracted, you take a hole punch from your work surface or from your pocket, and you punch a random hole in the paper. In late 2019, a global tech company called Asurion did research showing the average American picked up their phones 96 times in a day. So if you're average, that is almost 100 holes in your piece of paper, and that's if your phone is your only distraction. And I know it's probably not. 
And those hundred holes aren't all lumped up at the bottom either. So, you know, you've got at least half a page of useful paper on which to do your work. No, they're all over the place. And what's left of your paper is basically useless for anything more than little bite-sized bits of anything except your best work. Because deep work just does not happen in whatever little space remains around your tattered focus and time. You can't address a lack of time separately from a lack of focus. It just doesn't work that way. We only have so much time. And if you can make more of that time, reclaim it by refusing to punch it full of holes, you will have more to work with. I'm willing to bet that for many of you, this change alone, by which I mean proactively changing your relationship to distractions, could result in dramatic changes in your ability to get your work done. More work and better work. The three ideas I want to offer up for your consideration won't be nearly as helpful to you if you're not also willing to aggressively clean up your attention and focus. But if you can do that, then starting sooner, starting uglier, and the twin practices of stockpiling and staggering will help reduce three of the biggest pressures we face in getting our work done. Starting sooner is an effort to lower the pressure of time. The more we compress the timelines in which we have to work and reduce the distance between starting and finishing our work, the greater the buildup of pressure. Unless, of course, you also take out some of the work to be done, which is usually not an option, though that can be a consequence of that building pressure. It'll always be a temptation to thin out the work a little when the deadline starts to get close. And if not that, then certainly to allow other trade-offs in our work that come from less time to explore, take detours, and allow for the incubation of ideas. This is one reason start lines are at least as important to me as deadlines, if not more important. And if the idea of start lines is a new one to you, consider going back to the archives and looking for episode 36, The Problem with Deadlines. A deadline without a start line is a recipe for procrastination and mounting pressure, as every day that you put off starting your project forces that project into greater compression, or, of course, the risk of missed deadlines. And that's fine if your work doesn't have anywhere else to be. It's lousy if you do want or need to ship it and get it into the world. Practically speaking, giving yourself a bigger buffer by starting sooner means you've got more time for screwing around and engaging in the playful kind of work that often makes the final thing you're making really special, something bigger than your initial and sometimes kind of limited vision for a thing at the beginning. I have found longer lead times just to mess around with outlines and prototypes and to let the project be a little uglier for longer has always paid off and made the next stage of whatever I'm working on much easier. The next idea is starting uglier, which is a lowering of the pressure of expectations, specifically the expectation that the beginning of our work should look better than it does at this stage, that it ought to look much more in the beginning like the thing we hope it will look like at the end. And again, it just doesn't work that way. Starting ugly is beginning sooner, but with lower expectations and a willingness to let the work guide us and surprise us. Starting ugly is about giving that perfectionist within you the permission or even the mandate to loosen their grip on the whole thing, 
to entertain bad or partly formed ideas and to be willing to take the scenic route. It's about recognizing not only that things can start messy, but that they must start messy. But you're not alone if this sounds easier than it is. Most of us have a lifetime of believing that making what is excellent or meaningful is synonymous with making something that is perfect. And we're trained to evaluate the beginning of something as either good or bad, on track or disastrously heading off the rails, long before we have any idea of its real quality or trajectory. The first dozen steps in a journey of thousands can't possibly give you any real sense of where you're heading. And if they can't do that, then they also can't be judged relative to your expectations. Not yet they can't. So lighten up. Embrace the ugly beginnings. And if you can do that and start ugly sooner, the pressure of expectation and the pressure of time will begin to ease off. There's one more pressure I want to talk about, and I think it's particular to creators, artists, and makers. And I'm going to include in that category anyone that innovates in any field. And that's the pressure that we feel over the scarcity of ideas. And I mention it here because it's what makes my own work, well, it's what makes it work. When my work gets really tough is when I lack an idea. What do I write about? What do I photograph? What is my next project? The pressure that I feel when I'm facing a lack of ideas can be paralyzing. Once I've got an idea, I know how to bash it around, take it apart, and push it back together in new forms. I'm comfortable with how ugly it can be and how long it might take to show some promise. But the blank page with no ideas waiting in the wings? Those are my worst days. I feel lost or in my own version of the doldrums. The doldrums is a sailing or nautical term for a belt of ocean around the equator known for windless waters, and the word itself has come to mean stagnation and inactivity. To avoid my own doldrums and the pressure caused by a scarcity of ideas, I use the twin strategies of stockpiling and staggering. Stockpiling is just keeping a reserve of ideas on the back burner. I use notebooks and swipe files and, most often these days, the Evernote app for this, always writing down questions and ideas to explore later, and never, and this part's important, never kidding myself when a fragment of an idea does come, never kidding myself that I'll remember it later, or that if it seems like a bad or incomplete idea now, that it won't be worth something later when I have more of the pieces. If creativity is connecting dots stockpiling dots in all their many forms gives me a ready source of ideas when they seem to otherwise have vanished or the one that I'm working on now needs to take a break for a while. Stockpiling is nothing more than paying attention and being willing to capture those fleeting thoughts as raw materials for later. Staggering comes out of stockpiling. As those random ideas accumulate, assuming you revisit them now and then, they begin to combine, and the dots themselves suggest connections and new, slightly more developed ideas, where once you had maybe just a what-if or a curiosity, and you wrote it down in your notebook, now you've got an inkling, something a little more. Maybe something you wrote down in one sentence that kind of trailed off into nothing now gets a full paragraph and some bullet points, either on paper or in your head, and you begin to make some sketches of what this thing is going to look like. 
you noodle around with some chords on your guitar or you make a color study. You're not really starting anything. That would be way too much pressure, but you're also not not starting. You're staggering. You're putting, to use my metaphor from episode 65, more irons in the fire. In a creative pattern that is defined by hard starts and hard stops, entertaining only one project at a time in between, the challenge, when that hard stop does come, when you ship it, is in the anticlimax. The feeling of, well, now what? For many of us, certainly for me, this is that band of windless weather and the sails hang limp. Which, now that I think about it, should probably be the last time I use those words in this podcast. For me, the antidote to the doldrums has most effectively been always having a couple of ideas in various forms of development already, sitting there in various forms of incompleteness, but with enough there to engage my curiosity and encourage further exploration. And if I've done it right, and I often don't, there's no question at the moment one project finishes as to what the next one might be, because it's already been started, several projects having been staggered rather than waiting for one to finish completely before looking for something new. There are pressures enough in the creative life to make us all feel a little flattened at times. I have found the pressure of time, expectation, and the scarcity of workable and interesting ideas to be among the most challenging. But being more honest about my willingness to get distracted and being more willing to do something about it has helped me tremendously. Once you've got fewer holes in that piece of paper, then starting sooner, starting uglier, stockpiling and staggering might help you lean into your work without having to hit the purge valve quite so often. And if these ideas are helpful to you, then I would be cheating you if I didn't remind you that my book, Start Ugly, The Unexpected Path to Everyday Creativity, can be found at startuglybook.com in various formats, and I would be thrilled if it made your own everyday creative life a little easier. While you're there, scroll to the bottom of the page and let me send you on the make. This podcast is published three times a month, and in the week that it takes a break, I send out something like an emailed version of this podcast, a creative kick in the pants sent with love to your inbox. All you have to do is tell me where to send it. Thank you so much for being a part of this with me. If a beautiful anarchy is meaningful to you, I would be so grateful if you told others about it. And if you ever want to tell me, you can always get me at talkback at abeautifulanarchy.com. Thanks again for being here. Now go make something beautiful.